All right, friends, welcome. If you're new with us this morning, my name's Kurt. It's a pleasure to have you along to St. Matt. If you're new with us on Facebook on Live, it's a pleasure to have you along as well. We're going to spend some time looking at this passage from 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, so why don't I pray? Father God, you just, you've blessed us so much, just so richly with your word, time after time after time. And today you want to speak to us again through this word, this ancient word that was written many years ago. You speak afresh by your spirit into, into this church, into these people's lives who are here listening to you today. Father, do speak, do change us. We pray in your name. Amen. Well, I wonder if you've had that experience. I think some people call it the aha moment. You've been given this experience where you see something in a whole new way. I was chatting to a bloke the other day who spoke about meeting his wife and um, thinking she was nice. All right, so this is before she was his wife. Uh, he thought she was really, really nice uh, and then he went away on a conference and then all of a sudden he had new eyes to see this woman. And it wasn't just that she was a nice lady, but he thought to himself, I want to marry her. I want to marry her. Uh, or maybe it's a style of music. On first hearing, you hear this style of music and you think to yourself, oh, it's a great style of music. And then someone explains it to you and you see it in a whole new way. You, you see the genius in it. You, you see it one way and it's good you see it another way and, and, it, and, it, and it just becomes so much better. It's a better way of seeing. Well, this morning God is going to give us a better way of seeing how to live as Christian community. A better way of seeing how to live as Christian community. That is the way of love. The way of love. Uh, if you're new with us this morning, in person or online, we're working through 1 Corinthians. It's a letter written by a man named Paul. Uh, to a church in Corinth, a church that he started, a church that is struggling, really struggling. And so he writes this letter to those people and particularly what they were struggling with, there were a group of people within the church who claimed to be super spiritual and powerful, super spiritual people, super powerful people, Christians. And so these super spiritual people, these super powerful people claimed that they were so spiritual that how they lived didn't even matter anymore, that what they did with their bodies didn't even matter. That they were so spiritual that they were free to do whatever they wanted to do. And so in chapters 8 to 11, <laughs> which is where we started this series, Paul calls this group of people to, to come back to what God says uh, and to use their freedom, not for themselves to do whatever they want, but to actually use their freedom to serve God and serve other people. And then in chapter 12, which we picked up last week, he explains what it means to be spiritual. So spirituality is not just living for yourself, but what does it mean to be a spiritual church? And so we summarised it with five words. We said, Jesus, a spiritual church has the Holy Spirit and confesses Jesus as King. We said, gifts, every spirit-filled believer has God-given abilities or gifts. We said, building, the gifts are given by God to build each other up. We said belonging, so that like different body parts, we all belong together. And we said indispensable, so that whether you're weak or strong, everyone is indispensable to the growth of the church. And so you come to the end of verse 30 and you think, all right, every one of us has the same spirit. No gift is more spiritual than another. Every gift is indispensable. So whether you do morning tea or whether you preach, whether you meet up the front, we are just as important to each other for the growth of the body. That's what he was saying. And then he says this in, in verse 31. He says, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. And you think, what? 
That's, that seems like a contradiction, doesn't it? Everyone's really important. You're all indispensable. You all build each other up in love. If, every, if that's true, then how can there be higher gifts? See, see wasn't that the problem in Corinth? Uh, some people had their gifts who were pretty showy, impressive gifts. They claimed to be more spiritual and they were thinking they were more superior to the people who didn't have those gifts. And so what does Paul mean by higher gifts? Verse 31 again, he keeps going. And I will show you a still more excellent way. See, in chapter 12, Paul had, in a sense, started where the Corinthians were up to. The Corinthians were crazy about spiritual gifts. They were enamoured by spiritual gifts. And so he starts with what they know. They they thought gifts were impressive. The more impressive, the better. And so he starts with what they know in chapter 12, and he corrects their understanding of spiritual gifts. And so he says this, firstly, there's no gift more spiritual. You need to know there's no more spiritual because they're all empowered by one and the same spirit. And then he says, and God gives us each of these gifts, not for our own personal benefits, but to actually build each other up. And then he says, some are weak and some are strong. But then he says, but in the midst of that, pursue the higher gifts. And so your question is, what makes them higher? On what basis do you pursue different gifts? And then he says, actually, let me show you a better way of seeing this whole church community thing. Let me show you a better way of understanding how to, how to serve each other in church, how to be a part of church. A, a question, that ans- in a sense, that answers the gifts for which you should pursue. And so the question is not what gifts do I have and how can I get a chance to use my gifts at church, but Paul says the superior question, the better way, the better question is, how can I excel in loving the people with everything that I have, with every gift, talent, ability I have. See, that's the more excellent way. How can I love? And so he explains why in three points here. All right, we're going to go through them. Firstly, he says, gifts without love are a waste of time. Verse 13, sorry, chapter 13, verse 1, he says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not loved, I gain nothing. Now, the first couple of verses there are a particular rebuke to the Corinthians because instead of using their gifts to love others, they had started using their gifts to make themselves look really good, to try to feel like they were more impressive than other people, to put other people down. So Paul Cotter, first thing he says is, he says, even if you have the most incredible, powerful spiritual gifts, the, the gift of tongues, which we're going to speak more about next week, so I'm not going to go into detail, the gift of prophecy, where you're giving people messages from God, incredible Bible knowledge and wisdom, you know, it's just incredibly gifted person. In case you have, if you have the gift of faith, that he says he can move mountains, this idea of praying so that God does amazing things through your prayers. He says, if you fail to live, sorry, if you fail to love people with those gifts, then you are wasting your time. You're wasting your time. In fact, he says, it doesn't make you something. They were thinking their gifts made them something in the church. He says, if you do it without love, it actually makes you nothing. It makes you nothing. And it's interesting here, he starts with two miraculous gifts, uh, tongues and prophecy, that they were kind of pursuing. 
But just in case they were thinking, oh, you're just putting down our gifts because you think your gifts are so much better, Paul. The third one he says here is something he was blessed with, this idea of suffering for Jesus, giving his body for Jesus. He'd been stoned, he'd been beaten. So he's not just picking on their gifts and saying, hey, your gifts are the unloving ones, I do the loving gifts. He's saying whatever gift you have, whether it's martyrdom for Jesus, whether it's tongues, whether it's prophecies, whether it's showy or not, if it's done without love, it is a waste of time. It's wasting time. Now, I want you to stop here with me because this is where the Lord stopped me this week. You know when you're reading the Bible sometimes and you get to a particular verse and it feel like the Lord just says, stop, listen to this. The Lord made me listen to this. As a pastor, here's the deal. I get the incredible opportunity daily to use my gifts for you guys, for the good of the body. And it can be really easy in the midst of that to do the work and for that work to become more about me than it becomes about the common good. And so sometimes the work will become about me feeling more successful in life. Sometimes the work will become about me keeping people happy, keeping people, you know, happy. I've got to keep that person happy, you know, putting out fires in a sense. Sometimes it's about impressing people with my abilities. But Paul says, if I use my gifts without love, then I'm wasting my time. I'm wasting my time. And so my question here this morning is, how often are you wasting your time? Paul says, pursue the higher gifts. How do you know what to pursue? Well, he says, let's ask the bigger question. Let me show you a more excellent way, the way of love. But it raises a question, what do you mean by love? <laughs> I mean, love, love is a very slippery word in our culture, isn't it? For some, it means just... Let people let the other person do whatever they want to do. For others, it means that stop doing, stop letting them do what they want to do because it's going to hurt them. Love is a very slippery word. What do we mean by loving others? Well, the second thing he's going to do is he's going to define love, and this is why this is the one that comes up in weddings, um, which you know. But in context here, you can see it's actually not talking about marital love. Um, it's actually talking about love within the church, and so it's talking about how Manuel should love Sue and Sue should love Dan and Dan should love Rachma. And it, it's talking about that love. It's not talking about, in the first instance, marital love. And so what does it say here? Verse 4. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. Paul says, if when you use your gift in church... And you are impatient and unkind with people, then you are failing to love them. Encouraging someone in Christ, for instance, encouraging someone in Christ, they are stuck in their depression, they're really struggling, and you're thinking or saying to them, just get over it, would you? You're just impatient with them. At that point, you are failing to love them. If you use your gifts to brag about how awesome you are, Or even in your mind, just think to yourself, man, I'm so gifted compared to all the other people in this church. Then you might be loving yourself, but you're not loving others. Keep reading. What does it say? It does not insist on its own way. If you use your gifts thinking it has to be my way always and not listening to the opinions or thoughts of others, then you are not loving them. How often does that happen at church? 
where we think, I'm loving the people because I'm telling them the right way to do things. Keep reading. It is not irritable or resentful. If you spend your whole time serving other people at church and yet you are bitter or resentful or frustrated that people are not doing more, that people are not recognising what you're doing, that you are the victim of all of everyone else's laziness and that's the why you have to do everything. If you've got this kind of martyrdom thing, this kind of vic- that's not love. That's not love. Verse 6, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. If when you are ministering to others and you see their failures and you kind of makes you feel good in a sense because it makes, oh, they're a bad Christian, I'm a really good Christian. That's not love. Verse 7, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Paul's saying if you patiently, humbly, kindly bear with others in love, if you believe all things, that is, trust God in, throughout all those things as you're serving others, hoping in God in all things, then your loving others is never a waste of time. Is never a waste of time. Loving others is never... Now, I need to hear that. Because let me tell you why. Sometimes I honestly think loving others is a waste of time. I know it sounds wrong, doesn't it, for a pastor to say that. But sometimes you feel like you're pouring in love into situations and people... And it's like it's a bucket with empty, empty bottom. It just feels like it just keeps going and you don't know where it goes. You don't feel like you get uh, any returns on it, if that makes any sense. Not in the same way if I, if I, if I kind of write a sermon or, or build, a, build a website or create, get the live stream up and running or just do something where, where I see at the end of that, I've done that, even though it doesn't always work. Um, it, but it feels productive. But Paul says, if I do all these things without love, I gain nothing. It actually is a waste of time. But when I'm actually loving others, which sometimes feels like there's no return on it, that actually is not a waste of time. When I, when I text the person from church to say, how are you going this week? When I go up to the person after church who I see is struggling and I have a chat with them. When I pray with people. When you give meals to people. When you pray with people. When you... Uh, when you come alongside people during the week, when you come to growth group and encourage each other, when, when you just express all those myriad of ways that we love each other in church, then you're actually doing something that has eternal value. You have it, it's, not, it's not a waste of time loving two people. Because thirdly, Paul's going to say, love is the only thing that never ends. Love is eternal. Verse 8. Verse 8. Love never ends. As for prophecy, they'll pass away. As for tongues, they'll cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. Paul's saying that the gifts and the things we do now are helpful. They're helpful to have gifts in the church. But they are only a taste of the perfect that's coming. When Jesus is going to restore all things in the new creation. And so in that day, we will not need the gift of tongues because they will cease because we will speak the language of heaven. In that day, we'll not need prophecy because we won't need prophets speaking God's word or because we'll have see God to face to face. He'll speak straight. Jesus will speak straight to us. Verse 11. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, 
I gave up childish ways. As, as much as we sometimes think in our cultures that, you know, internal wisdom comes from the heart of children, um, that's, that's not necessarily the case. The, re the reality is in our world that the understanding of the world is, in children is limited. It's limited because, I mean, they, they just don't have as much experience in life, their brains are not fully developed. And so when you become an adult, you need to start thinking like one. There's nothing worse than an adult that's still thinking like a child. You know that. Paul is saying the gifts we use now in our church are not perfected abilities that we will have in the new creation. See, I think that's what the Corinthians were claiming. They were thinking they were living this always new creation life now and so the gifts they were exhibiting were these impressive showy things that they thought they were going to have for eternity. And Paul's saying, no, 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 those gifts are just a taste of what is to come when Jesus restores the world, when the gifts will no longer need to be used. Verse 12, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. See, Paul says the reason gifts will no longer be needed is not just that in the new creation we're going to have better gifts. You know, we'll have version 2.0 gifts. It's the point that gifts won't no longer be there. They'll no longer be there. The point of prophecy is to hear from God and, and yet in the new creation we will see him face to face. When, when he comes back, we will fully know him as he fully knows us now. We will no longer have the dim reflection of Jesus in the scriptures. It's this picture of a, of a, of a mirror that's kind of tarnished. We'll no longer just live accord, according to trust in Jesus through this dim reflection in the scriptures, the revelation of Jesus in the scriptures. But we will see him every point of our existence. We will see love itself. It will be like we are the bride looking down the aisle at the, at the groom that's coming down and, and the love that we'll see in his eyes and have love for him. We will see the loving relationship our souls were made for. And all those gifts, they'll just, they'll, they'll seem as nothing compared to the fullness of having him before us. Verse 13, so now faith, hope and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. See, while now while we can't see Jesus, what happens? We have to live by faith, don't we? We live by faith that his word and his revelation of him is true. We live in hope that he's come again, that he's going to restore this world, that we don't live in this hopeless existence, we're not stuck here, that he's doing something, he's going about restoring our world. But when he comes back, the faith and the hope will no longer be necessary. The only thing that will continue eternally from where we are sitting right now, Paul is saying, is love. Love continues for eternity. And it makes sense, doesn't it? Because the only truly eternal thing in our universe is God. And what does 1 John 4 say? It says God is love. The very essence of God's person is love. And so love exists for eternity because God exists for eternity. And so Paul is saying, pursue the higher gifts. Well, how do I discern what to pursue? Well, Paul says, let me show you a better way. A bigger question, in a sense, answers the gift question. That is, how can I humbly serve, bear with, 
Be patient. Love the people that God has placed me before in this moment. You see, that's the primary question for Paul. It's not what gift do I have. It's how can I love? How can I love? And so there's a couple of considerations I've pondered as a consequence of this. The first one is this. This means sometimes at church you will put up your hand for things which are not your gift. Which are not your gift. Because the primary question is how can I love? You'll put your hands up for things that are not your gift. Now, I have, as, a, as over the last 10 years at St Matt's, I have led singing. <laughs> I've played guitar. The people who are laughing know because they were there. All right? It's an indication. I've led singing, I've played guitar. Now, now, why did I do it? Not because it was my gift. I had never played guitar before, before I made, made myself learn. I had sung once before up front, but I probably shouldn't have. I did that in that moment because that's what I needed to do to love this people. I needed to love you. Now, eventually, some people were able to sing and some people were able to play the car and I stepped back from that in order to focus on teaching the word because, you know, love in that instance meant I didn't need to love that. That was not the immediate thing. I needed to preach the word. So I loved you through teaching the word. That's the first thing. Sometimes you put up your hand to do things which are not your gift. Secondly, when Paul says gifts without love are a waste of time, it's possible you could think to yourself that unless I have a pure sense of love when I do what I do at church, then I should not do it at all. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? So if I'm on morning tea, I've had a bad week and I'm just cranky. And I turn up and I'm frustrated and I'm resentful for how few people recognise my efforts when I've had a really tough week and I've got here with the morning. And I'm basically using my gifts without love. And so you hear Paul saying that using your gifts without love are a waste of time and you think, well, I'm not even going to bother turning up. (laughs) What's the use of even turning up this morning and serve because I'm not doing it out of love and so I'm just going to stay home and not serve. Really? No. It is still loving to serve people even when you are struggling with not being able to love them. Okay? But, but, that does not mean bitterness in serving is okay. I think that's where we go wrong. Uh, it's, not, it's not that turning up is the wrong thing to do. It's turning up, staying bitter and thinking because you turned up, it's okay to be bitter. God's solution is not stopping doing unless you are in this perfect motivation of love. His answer is repentance. It's ongoing repentance and confession. It's about confessing the sin while you serve. And so at morning tea, it says, before you get there, Father, I can see how cranky I am today (laughs) and I'm going to need your help to love the people that you've put before me so I can serve them in love. And it's as that person comes up and doesn't say the thing you want them to say, It's about recognising in that moment, saying, sorry, Lord, sorry, Lord. It's about living that ongoing repentance and confession before God, doing that dialogue before God as you serve it. Me preaching, all right? There's mornings where I think it's more about me and me being conscious of, 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 of making people happy with me or saying the right things rather than actually loving you by serving you by being faithful to what God says. And so for me, it means when I come up to, serve, uh, to preach, it means me saying to myself, God, I'm sorry when I've made, 
I'm sorry that there's a part of to me today that's making it about me. I want to make it all about you. Help me to serve these people. Help me to love these people. And so it's serving, living, while well, living with repentance, living with confession. Now, if you are consistently bitter, if, it, if you have like six weeks where you are bitter and lacking love every time you do what you're called to do at church, then I'm not asking you to just sit there and, you know, diligently say, oh, I've just got to confess, just got to confess, just got to repent. You've got to do that, but at the same time, you need to have a chat. <laughs> we need to have a chat because maybe you need to step back for a time. There's such a thing as burnout. There's such a thing where, people, where life just gets too much and you can't do what you're called to do. Sometimes you're doing something that's outside your gifting and if you're doing that for a long time, sometimes it's hard to do that and you really feel under the pump, then we need to have a conversation. But the norm is we do this service with always simultaneously impure motives but by, through repentance before God, asking him to give you the love you need to have to serve. That was second. Now third, some of you today might feel like love is an impossible standard. Honestly, when we talk about love, we talk about 1 Corinthians 13, you have this description and you think, man, I just feel hopeless with that. I fail at love more than I succeed at love. And so I don't want you today to go away and think to yourself, man, I suck at love. I really am bad at love. I'm never going to be able to serve at church at all. Even if I do that whole repentance thing, I really don't know because I'm really struggling to love people. I want you to go, go away not being self-focused on your lack of love, but turning outwards to listen to what Scripture says about love. And so 1 John 4, it says, This is loved, all right, now, this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us. 1 Corinthians 13 is not saying, go home and try to be really loving next week. It's not saying, today, after we finish, Try and be really loving yourself. Because scripture says love never starts with us. It never starts in your heart. It's not an inherent ability that you have within yourself to be a loving person in this church. No, it starts first and foremost with God. If you are struggling to love, it starts, start, you, you have to start with God's love. And so what you need to recognise is that 1 Corinthians 13 and the love that's displayed there is first and foremost not about the love you are to have for other people, but it's about the love that Jesus has for you. Jesus is the one who is patient with you. Jesus is the one who is kind with you. Jesus is the one who bears with you in your sin, in your struggle, in your rejection of him. Jesus is the one who never resents you. Jesus is the one who never uses his power to put you down, but always to serve you. Jesus is the one who's never bitter with you. I think some of us need to hear that. Jesus is not bitter with you. He's never bitter with you. Jesus loves you. And so today, that's where you need to start. If you're thinking, I struggle with this love thing, I really struggle with love, start there. Start reflecting on the fact that 1 Corinthians 13 is about Jesus first before it needs to be about you. And then as we dwell on the love that Christ has for us, our love is shaped, compelled to be directed towards others. Now that is also important to hear this morning if you're not a follower of Jesus. 
if you're just exploring Christian faith, whether in here or online, Christian love, I don't want you to hear this saying, Christians are about just being people who love others. Christians are about trying to be good people. Christian starts with the recognition that he, this is love, not that we loved God. It starts with the recognition we couldn't love God. In fact, we rejected God to, to set ourselves up in opposition to him. It's called sin. And yet, not that we love God, but that God loved us. God sent his son Jesus to come into the world to take the punishment on the cross for the sins that we did. For God that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. If you don't know Jesus this morning, you need to recognise this message is not just all about Christians being loving, it's about first reflecting the fact that God loved us. That is the power for Christian love and that's where it always has to start. And so if you don't know that love this morning, if you don't know Jesus' patient, merciful, kind, sacrificial love for you, then if you're online, just fill out the online comment card, make contact with us. We'd love to share more with you about that love. Friends, let's pursue the most excellent way. Let's pursue, let's, St. Matt's be a church that loves each other. That doesn't make it about what gift I am, I mean, using my gifts. It comes in and says, man, how can I love these people with my abilities, my talents, everything that I've got in this moment for their good? And the gifts will look after themselves. The gifts will look after themselves. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you that this community is one that is loving. Father, personally, I have experienced the love that you have given these people as they have loved me as their pastor. I have witnessed the love that they have for each other as they have used their gifts to build each other up. (coughs) And I thank you for that, Lord. And I pray that you would continue to bring about that love in us. Help us to dwell on Jesus, the one who is patient, the one who is merciful, the one who is kind, the one who serves sacrificially us that we might be compelled to love others. Father, help us when we are bitter and struggling to come and serve, to be honest about that with you, to be real with you about that. Help us when we are struggling uh, for, a, for a significant amount of time with, with bitterness and struggle in our service, to, to be honest with with other people about that, that we might be prayed for, that we might perhaps do a different role, that we might step back for a time. Father, give us wisdom as we use our gifts, as we love each other, that this church might be something in which people come into and they are just, uh, they're embraced by a family that loves them like Christ has loved us. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.